Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme and let me start, uh, by the way, with a WhatsApp in from Michael in Castletown Bear uh, referencing the the match yesterday that I just gave you the result of the close of the match uh, yesterday. And Michael says, Patricia, massive congratulations to our ladies in green for another magnificent performance yesterday. It was against Nigeria. They really deserved that point overall in this World Cup. They've played uh, out, they've played outstanding in the quality of teams they were up against. They were up against world champions, they were up against Olympic champions and of course the very exclusive Nigerian team yesterday. The upshot was two very narrow defeats and a draw. One thing Michael said though that he would question is the management, especially the coach. Was there World Cup experience there? Something was just not right. I sincerely hope, says Michael, that they get the homecoming welcome that they deserve and uh, already looking forward to the European uh, Championships. Thanking you, that's from Michael. And there is a lot of focus and attention already going on to Vera Pau, but I suppose let them have their homecoming and I think it is going to be an amazing homecoming for uh, the girls and that scoreless draw yesterday all of the papers are are reporting that it failed to dampen the spirits in Australia and yesterday like the previous game against Canada in Perth the Army of Green at the Brisbane Stadium yesterday Everybody there and all of the reporters there were saying it just felt like a home crowd and the vast majority of the nearly 25,000 people in attendance were holding Irish flags or they were dressed in green and of course all of them singing the uh, fields of Athen Rye. And there's lovely photographs in the Examiner and I think I spotted them in the Echo as well of uh, Denise O'Sullivan's uh, family. They gathered 
in the youth centre in Knocknahini uh, yesterday. And I think it was quite fitting that they decided to watch the third match in the youth centre in Knocknahini because Knocknahini was where Denise first started playing football. And seemingly there was about 150 members of her family and friends cheered on her every move yesterday. And you can just see, even looking at the photographs, how proud the O'Sullivan family and in, and indeed how proud Cork was of uh, Denise. And it's the Irish squad, though, when you think about it, they have be, always been very clear in their desire that more than anything else, they wanted to leave a lasting legacy from their first ever involvement in the World uh, Cup. And the opportunity to do so now is really, really uh, clear. Women's football has been exposed to a larger audience than ever before and suddenly now everyone's talking about the women's soccer team which is fantastic and remember for children and for little girls in particular if she can't see it she can't be it so clearly the women and the girls of Ireland have certainly seen it after the last uh, couple of weeks and now the focus needs to be on empowering them to be it and for them to dream that one day they can be one of those girls uh, like the ones that will have a huge, huge uh, homecoming. And that's what's been the real victory for the likes of Vera Powell and Katie McCabe and Denise O'Sullivan and indeed all of the other girls uh, in green. And that will be their real victory when they come home. I mean, they have put football onto the map for little girls and that certainly has got to be welcomed because only a couple of weeks ago we were talking about trying to get and keep young girls involved in sport with that stat that is out where one in two girls by the time they reach the age of 18 will have dropped out of sports so you know maybe after watching the girl the, the girls play people are already starting to c- kick footballs around and showing a little bit of talent they may dream that one day that could be them uh, leading out a World Cup team and let me stay on a sporting uh, nature because yesterday, of course, we were commiserating with Kerry and we were congratulating the boys in blue and congratulating Dublin on their All-Ireland win. I read in the papers today that just under a million GAA fans from across the Irish Sea tuned in to watch the BBC's All-Ireland final coverage. The decision to air the Dublin versus Kerry clash on the BBC marked a historic move that introduced the sport to much of the British public for the first time. Now, in the past, and I know with the hurling match the weekend before, it had been streamed on some of the BBC channels, but this was the first time that the BBC made the decision to broadcast the All-Ireland football final and they put it out live on BBC Two on uh, Sunday and it was Irish celebrities Paul Meskell Adrian Dunbar Darrow Breen and uh, Patrick Keelty they were on hand I think to very much boost uh, the ratings and a lot of within the a lot of people are saying to the BBC that was a genius move by the BBC to get the four of them to commentate on the game Darrow Breen said he was delighted to be a part of the first BBC's national broadcast of an all Ireland football final and the comedian shared a fantastic photograph with the Oscar nominated star Paul Meskell, Line of Juicy's Adrian Dunbar and of course
course, the, the new uh, late, late Show host, Patrick Keelty, as all four of them were watching the D- Dublin Just Edge carry out to reclaim their title at uh, Croke Park. Paul Meskell, of course, he is no stranger to the GAA. And we remember in Normal People, he was the man who made GAA shorts sexy when he appeared on that programme, wearing them uh, out on a pitch in one of the scenes. But of course, he played for, uh, when he was in college, he played for Maynooth uh, GAA. He also played under 21 for Kildare, as well as captaining the county's minor team at one point. And he said he'd actually lined out against some of the Dublin players he said during, the broadca- during the broadcast that he did it for his uh, sins. So it was a great move by the BBC. And as they say, just under a million people logged on to watch it, which was close enough to the figure that watched it was just over a million people watched it here in uh, on RTE. So uh, well done. And as I say, it has introduced the world of Gaelic football to a whole new audience in the UK. 0818103103. I've asked John Paul to try to get on to Irish Water to find out. John has been on to us to say water is out in the Mill Street area and we didn't get any notice. Now, if you didn't get any notice, we can assume that that is something to do with a break. So um, well, we'll see. Uh, I'm trying to find out for you if uh, Ishka Aaron have been notified about it and they are working uh, on it. And we've just been on to Ishka Aaron um, as a result of that uh, WhatsApp in from John saying water's gone and they, nobody told us about it. Well, it seems it is a burst water main. Um, the Irish Water are aware of it. They're working on it as we speak and it is affecting supply to the old school road, Ballydaly and surrounding areas of Mill Street and they reckon by about four o'clock today they should have it all sorted out but the old school road Ballydaly surrounding areas of Mill Street without water due to that burst at water name. Now don't forget that we have a wonderful competition in association with the Cork Opera House and Lord of the Dance it's Michael Flatley's show that was the follow up to uh, Riverdance and this uh, show is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year and for the 25th fans can expect there's new staging, there's new costumes and choreography plus we're told there's cutting edge technology special effects and remarkable lighting. That's the 25th anniversary show and it's opening in the Cork Opera House on Wednesday the 9th of August and it will run in the Opera House for five nights only and they've very kindly given us a pair of tickets to give away every day this week and then at the end of the week when we have our our five daily winners all will go into the hat and one will have their prize upgraded and it will include a hotel stay and dinner along with their pair of tickets. So we will have a question for you later on on the programme if you'd like to win tickets to go along to Lord of the Dance as they celebrate their 25th anniversary with a five-night run at the Cork Opera House. A public meeting will be held tomorrow at the Library in Charleville and it's to inform local people about a module housing development that will be built in the town to house Ukrainian refugees. To discuss the plans in more details, I'm joined by local Fianna Fáil councillor uh, Ian Doyle. Good morning to you, Ian. Morning, Patricia. And you're, morning. you're very welcome to the programme. Now, Thank you, uh, where will these houses be built and how many are we talking about? Uh, the houses, the, the site that's been identified is at the, uh, in, the, in the council-owned site at the back of the old Deer Park Hotel, which is the Park Hotel now in Charles, off the M20. And it is proposed by the OPWs that 68 modular, two-bedroomed modular houses would be put in into that site. Now, 
that's depending whether the site is capable of holding or not 68 and that's what they're doing at the minute it might be less than that but 68 is the projected number anyway and all two bedded all, all two bed for Ukrainian refugees uh, priority given to women and children and they are coming uh, they're first of all being selected from people that are in emergency accommodation around the localities and uh, in hotels around the localities Okay, so if we're talking about two bedrooms, we're talking about maybe mothers with one or two children or... Like you, you could have mother with two or three children or possibly a mother and daughter and two or three children. So you, you would be looking at probably... I, I suppose two to four people in each Max, of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, you're saying the plan is that all of them are already housed are in emergency accommodation locally. Is that the plan? Well, they are. The, the panel, I think, to, to my understanding, Patricia, is the plan. You know, the, these are people that are in emergency accommodation already, but not, you know, not permanently. They're they're temporarily put up in in hotels and temporarily put up in in different um, places through iPads. And, you know, they're, they're being housed now for the next three years in these modular housing. Yeah, no, because no, I'm just thinking if they're already locally, the children will already be in schools. Well, yes, that, 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 I, I suppose that they will be put into the panel as well, you know. So yeah. yeah, so it's an, yeah, an advantage, yeah. yeah. And, and when, when do you hope to see them ready? Well, what the plan is that the, the site development will start as soon as possible. And they hope to have it done in the first quarter of 24, which is early 24. Because once they start building these modular houses, they do go up pretty well, quickly. Apparently, it's unbelievable, Patricia. I mean, once once they get the go ahead, the, the, the houses are built off site. So what the what the uh, what the CISC or or the um, engineers they put in the the foundation and the houses come ready built and all. Now there was two sites picked in Cork. One was Mahan, and apparently I haven't been there now, and I intend to go there in the next couple of days. But apparently it's fantastic, and you know it's it's, it's working out great. I think people have already moved in, haven't they? they, they have, yeah, 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 I, yeah. I've seen, I've seen video footage. I've spoken to people. I've spoken to people up there, and it is a fantastic development. But also, uh, I think the, the the gratitude of the people that are gone in there is reflective in man, you know, and they really appreciate that, which which is great. And I think it'll be great for the town as well, Charles. Now the public meeting is uh, tomorrow morning, and yeah. and and I'm assuming this is to allay fears and concerns. Well, what what do you believe most people? worries are when they hear about these modular homes developments? Well, I suppose the public meeting really tomorrow has been run by the OPW in the Charvel Library and it is more, I suppose, uh, a, my understanding is it's more of an information meeting in whereby the res- some of the residents who would be maybe bound is bounding this site might have concerns about security, might have concerns about, you know, uh, the, the whole layout of the, of the site and maybe their own privacy. And I think that the, the Avian Byrne is the girl that's in charge of all that. And she's there to listen and to solve any small problems that I would think that, that would be there. You know, there's, a, I, I suppose, one of the major issues, and then TRI will have to come involved, is that the access is from the N20. Now, it is within the, the 60-kilometre zone, but certainly traffic coming measures, I suppose, will have to say there will probably be an extra 250 people using that road and it's a very busy road as we all know so traffic carrying measures would have to be put in place but all that will be negotiated and worked out no question about it and and I'm glad to see a public meeting as well uh, Ian because there has been criticism in the past uh, when the OPW decided to put in modular homes or to open up a refugee centre public people locally people weren't informed so that it's good to see communication it, it, 
great to see communication and from 10 to 1 tomorrow anybody that has concerns as I say are welcome to come and talk to Avian on their own personal concerns or on their own community concerns but you know Charles Patricia and Brit Varna it has always been a welcoming town and I think this is a, it is a, it is a great facility and a great offering that we are giving to the Ukrainian refugees the what? other point sorry Patricia and the other point about that is that this is a two year contract with the OPW so that the site uh, and these modular homes will be handed back to Cork County Council in three years' time, and then it's up to the council to do whatever they want to do with them. Yeah, the, and the, 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 the long-term plan and the hope would be that they then will become social housing. Of course, yeah. Yes, yeah. Of course. yeah. Because yeah. You, do, you do know the argument, and it is going to be said to you at some stage, uh, Ian, you know, how can you justify building these homes for refugees when so many people are on the council's housing list? No question about it, and I can totally understand it, Patricia. We're dealing, I mean, we're dealing with housing problems every day of the week, and my heart goes out to everybody. But as you know, as you know, Patricia, and it's well, well known, this is a totally separate development. Uh, it is nothing at all to do with our housing list. And I just, just in effect, if you look at the town of Charleville currently, there are actually four housing developments outside of this at the moment being built in Charleville. There will be over to, in the next couple of months or in the next year there will be over 200 houses available in Charleville. There's two in Lovely, two sites in Lovely and there's one site going into Bloomscourt in Charleville and there's also one on the southern side of the N20. So, you know, I'm not saying housing is plentiful in Charleville but certainly there is quite a bit of social housing will become available over the next six months. But this is a, a separate development that has to be emphasised and also as a development, again, as I said, it will be handed back to the council and hopefully uh, we can turn that into a positive for Charleville as well. And those 200 houses you're talking about, are they all social houses? Some of the, most of them are, yeah. Most of them are, okay. Yeah, there's some private par- partnership, but the two, two uh, the, the housing body has, uh, has a, a large estate there going into Bloomscourt. Um, the council itself has built uh, through the builders in Mill Street up at the top of the lane. Sister Celestine's nine are there and the ones in... in the southern side, as I say, just going out the N20 across from Amber. Yeah, they're all being built. But but what I can't understand, and and I know a lot of the listeners have have aired the same point. Why are we not looking at modular homes? I, I, if you look at the spec of these houses, they're fantastic. It's fantastic. It's unbelievable. And I made the point, Patricia, and and we lived in nineteen in the early nineteen seventies. Butter and concrete, the, the the old butter and concrete built those prefab bungalows. You know that we were talking about. We lived in one of them. They were saying, "Oh God, they won't last two years, ten years, sixty years." Those houses are still perfect. So uh, you know, modular housing uh, in terms of heat efficiency, in terms of comfort, in terms of everything, uh, there's the way to go. No question about it. No question about it. Okay, obviously when we're talking about the town of uh, Charleville and bringing any uh, extra new people into it, I can see texts coming in saying, what about GP services? We've we've dealt with so many people who can't get a GP in their own hometown. If you're going to be bringing in the bones of 240 additional people, how would the GPs cope? Uh, no, no question about, and that is the biggest concern. That our schools are, are it's, it'll be an advantage to everybody. But you're quite right. I mean, there has been a huge problem with the GP service here in Charleville. Uh, that has got to be addressed. Now that is up to the OPW. They assure us that they will contact the that they're in contact with the HSE, 
and they will come up with some solution. I personally don't know what that is yet, Patricia, but certainly it is a major concern and it is one of the things that has been highlighted. No question about it. Someone says, could you ask uh, Ian, does he think we have the amenities in Charleville to cope with all of these additional uh, people? Many of our classrooms are already full. I think, I, I, look, I, I think we do. I think we do. It, it's encouraging to see our classrooms are full, but our secondary school, we, first of all, we don't know the age profile of these people yet, you know. Um, so we'll have to look and see what the age profile is. Our secondary schools are well capable of holding uh, extra people and looking for extra people. And we will have to address, you know, I, I think some, I'm speaking on and I might get to think, but some of our national schools can certainly take this capacity. Uh, definitely the boys' school is good at capacity at the moment, but hopefully there'll be a new build there in the next couple of years. So I, I think, look, we have to look at it positively. We'll have to uh, attack the problems that if they're there to come up. But certainly this is a positive move, I think, and we should look at it positively. Someone else wants to know, why did work start without any local people knowing what was happening? Pardon? Why well, did work you know, start on the site? Yeah, look, we were only notified ourselves last week. The only thing that the work has started at the moment is that the entrance has been cleared and a roadway has been put in. You know, but there is, you know, there is site at the moment. Currently, CISC are doing site evaluation and doing excavation there on the site. And depending on their, I suppose, depending on the outcome, it will depend on the amount of modular homes that will be built there. Okay, and a number of people are asking, who's paying for these modular homes? Is this coming out of council funding? No, it's not. No, Patricia, no. It's the European funding. It's the, I mean, that, that, that's the, we, we, have a Euro, we have a European directive to, to uh, the Department of Foreign Affairs as a European directive to... Um, to, um, to to fund and and uh, we have a responsibility to house uh, Ukrainian refugees. So no, it's not coming out of Cork or the Council. Uh, no. And then you say the benefit will be at the end of three years they will come back to the and council. Plus, Patricia, we're going to get a like you know obviously the, the the war in Ukraine unfortunately is not going to finish anytime soon. We, as you have quite rightly mentioned. We have Ukrainians in Charville, a lot of Ukrainians in Charville at the moment. They are unbelievable people. They've integrated into the community. They're all working. They're fantastic people. They're going to our schools. So I think, personally, and I think I know I speak for Charville, we will welcome them with open arms. Now, understanding everybody's concerns, and there's no question about that. Yeah, and, and I've said it countless times, the majority, when the war is over, they don't want to be here. They want to go home. No, of course they yeah. Of course they It was only last night, Patricia, when you look at the news and the, bomb, the two bomb attacks. Oh, stressful. I mean, stressful. Stressful. You know? Yeah, stressful. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. Listen, um, so it's so it isn't it isn't an actual set meeting. It's just a drop in. People can drop it, into the library any time between ten and one in. tomorrow. Avian is there, and it's a drop in, and it's just look if you have an individual an individual question or concern, she's there to answer the question. Okay, and, and, probably, and, and solve the problems as well. You know, like, like if you need something done then maybe if it can be done, it will be done. And that's in the library in Charleville. All right, listen, Ian, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, That is uh, Councillor Ian uh, Doyle. Uh, 0818-103-103. And uh, I did say it, Ian, and I knew I would get calls and texts in saying, look, after our own first, if I get a Ukrainian passport, will I be able to apply for a modular home? That's what people are saying. If you're talking about Charleville, including Mora, where are they going to get a, a doctor? I did put that to Ian as well. Who is paying for these homes, said somebody else, hardworking 
Irish taxpayers what do we get my wife has a medical condition and will be on medication for the rest of her life and has just had her medical card taken away but free houses medical cards for people we know nothing about it is absolutely uh, disgraceful and hi Patricia it's obvious he doesn't he's no school going children any chance he'd speak to the HSE about all of about all of us private patients with no uh, doctors. Yeah, that's that's a massive, massive issue in uh, Charleville. People, we've spoken with people in Charleville who have had to go outside of Charleville and are travelling in think, after half an hour just to, to register with the doctor. Now, yesterday on the programme, we spoke about couples and individuals so desperate to secure a home that they slept in their cars last Friday night in order to secure one of the houses in the first phase of a housing development in the city suburbs. Now, all of those houses, as we addressed yesterday, come with an A bar rating. So to talk about mortgage holders who have done work to improve their energy rating, I'm joined by Martina Hennessy of Doddle.ie. That's the Mortgage Switching Index, which is run by the Irish Independent. And Martina says that householders can be missing out on big mortgage savings. Good morning to you, Martina. Good morning, Patricia. Do you believe that many people are unaware of these? They're called green mortgage rates. Yes, so I think anybody who's buying a property at the moment should be or are more likely to be aware of um, green rates because if you're looking to buy a new build, it's one of the promotional materials that all developers will use that you're buying an energy efficient home. It's part of what you're paying in terms of the price or the increased price for a new home. So many people will be aware of green rates, but not all lenders offer green rates. There are three lenders on the market that offer green rates where your building energy rating is B3 or above. But perhaps more so that the B that may not be aware or that may be kind of accidental green homeowners and therefore eligible for green rates are people who have done home and carried out home improvements over the last you know, two, three years. Since COVID and with post-COVID savings, many people have carried out home improvements when they saw their energy bills increasing, when there was more grants available from the government. They've carried out home improvements and they're nearly accidental green homeowners and may not be aware that they can switch and be eligible for these green rates and why they're so important right now, Patricia, is because green rates are some of the lowest rates available on the market. So existing homeowners need to be aware of them as well as new potential mortgage holders. Okay, talk to me about the difference with a a green rate versus a normal rate. Yeah, sure. So uh, the green rates start from 3.65% on the market. And right now, normal rates go up to 6.65%. You can see, yeah, there's a massive difference across the market right now. Interest rates have gone up, but there's still some real good value below 4% that's available, whether you're green or not. But specifically with regard to green rates, if we look at a very, to, to give a really stark comparison, if you look at AIB's five-year fixed rate, their standard rate, non-green, is 4.8% at the moment. And the reason I'm choosing a five-year rate is because, for comparison, is because it's probably one of the most popular rates for homeowners at the moment. Their five-year standard green rate is 4.8. Sorry, the five-year non-green rate is 4.8. Their five-year green rate is 3.75%. So a difference of 1.05, which for a 250,000 euro mortgage holder means a saving of 8,820 in five years just on interest. So if you're eligible for these green rates as an existing mortgage holder, you really need to understand how you can achieve one right now because before the market increases further. And if you're taking out a new mortgage as a homeowner who's purchasing a new built property or a property with a strong building energy rating of B3 or above, make sure you're asking about green rates. Make sure you understand what lenders offer them and how you can access one. 
How do you know if you're eligible? How, how, how do you find yep. out? You will have a be your cert. So, uh, well, new homes, from, a, from the point of view of when they're being purchased, they are going to all be in the A rating. So they're all going to be eligible new homes. If you've purchased homes over the last number of years, in particular a new home, you most likely will be eligible also because planning conditions required that, you know, for eligibility, for planning, that they were all going to be, you know, strongly energy rated homes. If you've carried out work at your home, you can get a, a be your cert carried out by a be your um, surveyor who will go out to your home and they will do a, a kind of a review of you know the air that I, I suppose that the sorry energy systems you know windows heating they'll do an energy review to give your home a be your every home that's sold in Ireland also has a building energy rating as part of the requirement in the pack for sale so if you purchase a home you will know what the building energy rating was when you bought it and if it was below B3 and you've carried carried out home improvements, you'll have a good sense as to what the BOR is then. And it could be very worthwhile in you getting the building energy rating carried out to show how it has improved the, the energy mm. rating of your home to get one of these rates. And outside of those green uh, rates, I, I take it, Martina, you're still advocating that all mortgage holders should be looking to switch if they're in a position that they're able to switch. So absolutely, if they're in a position to be able to switch and if it makes sense to switch, Patricia, then absolutely. Because for most mortgage holders, their mortgage is their largest financial commitment. And just because rates have increased, when rates were low, we had a lot of switching. And just because rates have increased doesn't mean that you shouldn't look at your rate. It actually makes it more important to do so, especially because as a nation, we're a nation of fixed-term mortgage holders, short-term fixed mortgage holders. So if you're locking into a rate for three or five years, you need to make sure you get the lowest rate possible because we have a huge amount of 50,000 mortgage holders that will be rolling out of short-term fixed rates in the next 12 months. And they would have all locked in as, you know, mid 2%. So, you know, a, five, a standard five-year fixed rate even 12 months ago was 2.55%. They're rolling out now as rates of 4.85 and over 5% by the end of the year. So if you have a mortgage and you've heard about rates increasing, you're going, oh, well, I'm fixed, I'm okay. If you're due to roll off in the next 12 months, you need to plan in advance because the difference on those two rates, if I take what you would be on now, maybe a 2.55% rate versus what you'd be rolling on to a 4.85% rate, and we take a 250,000 euro mortgage again, the increase in your payments overnight when you roll off that rate will be 312 euros per month. And for many houses, Households who have additional commitments since they've bought their home, maybe they've childcare fees or additional loans or expenses and general cost of living increases. This is a large amount on a monthly basis, a large increase that, you know, they might struggle to meet if they don't get proper advice. Well, yeah, because everything else, Martina, is going up at the same time. Absolutely. And that's the problem for homeowners. We've had energy increases. We have, you know, the cost of food has increased for all every household in the country. So this, you know, for the last 10 years, rates have been low. A decade of mortgage holders have never experienced rate increases. I have, but a decade yeah. of mortgage holders haven't. So, you know, it's just an awareness in the market that rates have increased. But also, don't accept the first rate that's offered to you. As I said, like rates go up to 6.65%. Don't secure the 
the, you know, the incorrect rate because to do so you'll be paying a lot more than you need to and nobody wants to pay needless interest. It adds no value to you or your mortgage. So your priority is to get your rate as low as possible and to keep the money in your pocket. And that's easier said than done. I know as a broker that there's so much change in the market. We had two rate increases last, last week. It's hard to keep up with it but you're not expected to. That's why you need to get market-based advice. Go to a broker, speak to one of our advisors and you'll get, you know, you'll get a much better idea of what makes sense for you and if you can and should switch then you should do so and don't be afraid to switch I suppose would be my big message and of course unless you have a crystal ball it's impossible to tell will there be further increases so there's two different kind of, I suppose, rates. There's people who are on tracker mortgages and their rate is directly linked to the ECB rate. And then you have the general mortgage holder who's on a variable rate or on short-term fixed rates. Who They're non-tracker mortgage holders. For those mortgage holders, the outlook is that funding costs are expected to increase. And if they do, the banks will certainly pass on their funding costs to new mortgage holders or to those who are looking to take a new rate if they're, if they're rolling off existing fixed rates. So it's not expected. It's expected that rates will continue to increase into 2023 so we're still in that cycle but I think what's more relevant is we're out of the we're into a new norm we're out of the position where from 2016 to 2022 there was negative funding cost rates were super low so it would take extraordinary economic circumstances to get back to that position we're over the next number of years into the medium term for for for, for certain we're, we're in a position where rates are going to be higher than they were over the last six years so the importance of managing your mortgage reviewing your rate ensuring you can get as low a rate as possible to keep money in your pocket as opposed to paying it needlessly on interest is so important and people, Martini, will remember when what they went through when they got their first mortgage. Is, is switching an easier process? So when, when people switch, they always go, God, I don't want to go yeah. back there again, right? So what I would say is when you purchased your home initially, there was all of the emotion around, you know, getting the amount you needed to buy, you know, queuing as those people did overnight to mm. secure their home and then, you know, moving. So it's a big, you know, there's a big, big process when you're purchasing home. Even the legal side is much more, you know, there's so much more diligence. When you're looking at switching, it's taking your mortgage from one lender to another to save on interest. And if I look back at it, there's a legacy idea that it's a lot of hassle. But what's happened more recently is technology means the timelines are far less. Your access to documents is easier. Your e-statements, your pay slips, they're all online now. So pulling that document together and documentation together and investing in the time to gather that documentation, which is made so much easier via online access, just can save you thousands and is so worthwhile. You do have to go through a process for you to apply for the new mortgage. But again, if it makes sense for you to do so based on the figures you should absolutely do it because that investment in time will save you greatly Okay well listen you're always a mine of information Martina thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us this morning Thank you Patricia Good morning to you that is Martina Hennessy of the Irish Examiner's Doddle.ie the Mortgage Switching Index 0818103103 Let me just stay on um, housing for a moment and the buying of houses uh, yesterday when I was talking about the fact that it, it, it had a feeling to me when I was reading the front page of the Irish Echo or, or, or sorry of the Echo yesterday it just smacked to me of the Celtic Tiger era 
seeing and reading about people sleeping and camping out overnight in order to try to put a deposit down on a home. Uh, houses that haven't even been built yet, they've only started to be built and I just thought, goodness, we're, you know, we're, we're gone back to that again. People are so desperate to try to uh, buy a house and of course we had Shane Finn on who was, who was the agent for the properties and he was talking about, you know, the excitement and all of that, but he was talking about the fact that there are grants available at the moment, first time buyers grant and that obviously is encouraging uh, people to buy their own home. Well, uh, following that, it was just too late for the programme yesterday, I had some commentary in about people who are trying to purchase houses if they're not in a couple. I listened to you yesterday, says one texter, talking about the new homes. What fails to be advertised is to qualify for the help to buy, your mortgage has to be 70% of the market value of the property. There's no incentives there for a single applicant. I have a big deposit and I have mortgage approval, but the prices are out of my range as a single person. So at 42, I'm still living at home with my parents and relationships continuously are breaking down because of that reason. The government is all about couples who can get a joint mortgage. Our single mothers that the council will provide housing for. But what about those of us that are single and desperate to get our own homes? And even though this person is saved, has the large deposit, has the mortgage approval, but it's to the the size of the mortgage that this person can get based on one uh, income. And someone else says, Patricia, I listened to you speaking with the developer on the programme yesterday. Everything seems great if you are a couple or you are family when it comes to mortgages. But what about us single people who want to get onto the property ladder? Are there any properties available for uh, us? It really is a nightmare. And I know they've increased the mortgage lending rate to, to four times uh, your income but for because of the price of houses at the moment it is still putting it out of the reach of some people 0818103103 and talking about everything going up somebody says has anybody noticed or does anybody have any explanation as to why fuel prices have started to go up uh, again and how come that the price at pumps can all vary so much. I'm fearful. Could oil companies be price uh, gouging again? Now, different carriages will say, we what, what, whatever we bought, buy the petrol and diesel in for on that day, that sets the price then for however many days that amount of oil or diesel is in their tanks. And that's why you'll have different prices. Same garages or this, the, the, the same brand of garage, but of course they're all owned individually and they'll all have different prices. But you are right about they can vary. You do need to keep an eye on the forecourt. But I have to agree, it was only this morning coming to work I noticed just, you know, I was parked at the traffic lights and there happens to be a garage nearby. So I was looking up at the sign and I think in the last, I'm open to question, but I think in the last week, it's probably gone up two or three cent a litre on both the petrol and the diesel. The petrol and the diesel seem to be going up at the same time. I don't know. I'll see if I can find out some explanation for as to why suddenly it's going back up again. We know we had an increase a couple of weeks ago, but that was to do with the excise duty being put back in place been put back and there's going to be another excise duty rise come uh, September and a last one then I think in October but this looks like it's the price of the petrol and the diesel this has nothing to do with the excise duty 
even though God knows we pay enough in the excise duty on it. But as others noticed uh, that and you need to really keep an eye out if you're driving around and you need petrol or you need diesel and you see a good price then you need to be into that garage and uh, filling up. And Colette uh, has contacted us uh, to say, can we all spend time uh, today to think of those families affected by that accident in County Monaghan? Uh, Colette said this, that story, when she heard about it this morning, has hit her really hard because she's got a daughter whose Debs is on and she said the excitement that goes with a Debs, particularly for the girls and for this awful accident uh, to happen. And all we know so far is uh, two teenagers uh, were killed and the the other three that were in uh, the car some of them are very seriously injured it was a road traffic accident in County Monaghan yesterday evening now it's understood that some of those involved in the accidents accident were going to a local secondary school's Debs Ball at the time the accident happened on the N54 on the Clonus to Smithsboro Road and it was about a quarter to seven yesterday evening the five people they were all in the one uh, vehicle the guardies say three people were taken to hospital Two of them are in a critical uh, condition. And then the other two uh, teenagers, I think one 16 and one uh, 17, were pronounced dead um, at the scene. I mean, just heart-wrenching for everybody uh, involved. It's just so, such a sad, sad story. And I agree with you, Colette, when I heard that it was to do with some young people going to a Debs, I was thinking, oh my God, the uh, the excitement uh, of it. It looks to me like it was two 18-year-olds, the boy and the girl going to the Debs and then there was two other teenage girls a 16 and 17 year old I imagine they were just going along for the ride in the car and the excitement of it all I don't think the two of those were going to the Debs but don't you know when names are released uh, more uh, will uh, come out but yeah you're right let's think of that family and what they're going through uh, today and may they uh, rest in peace a lot of commentary uh, coming in uh, reacting to the news that the modular homes are to be built in the uh, Charleville area somebody says Patricia, the site has already been stripped. It's more than just the roadways are uh, done. They're con- uh, well, I think what happens, because I know it's happened in other areas, is that they go in and they do site preparatory work and they test the site. Uh, and listening to Councillor Ian Doyle, they are testing to and they're doing all the site preparatory work to see how many houses can fit into to the site. So I think that's why work goes on before people are ever informed. We had an example in Mallow where they went in and they looked at the site. Now it turned out when they did all the exploratory work the site just wasn't suitable for modular homes so they they moved on. Uh, so I imagine that the reason that the public meetings have only been, or the, the information session is only on uh, tomorrow is because they now know the site is suitable. They just don't know at this stage how many houses uh, will be built there. Martin in Moy says, Patricia, guess what? It's true now that the Irish homeless are not even being thought about anymore. More Ukrainians seem to be getting accommodation again before the many homeless people already in Ireland. Why are we the Irish always forgotten about? Why not build modular homes for the likes of homeless Irish people like my own daughter and my granddaughter? What is wrong with the people who seem to give foreigners more rights before the Irish? It's a crying shame. You need to look after your your, your own first, uh, Patricia. The country needs a severe wake-up and a shake-up. There are too many foreigners in our small country and it'll all backfire on us. That is Martin in uh, Fromoy. I did ask and I did say to Ian Doyle and it is one thing that I get really annoyed about when I hear of so many people, so many Irish people living in hotels and B&Bs and homeless uh, accommodation 
you know, why are we not building more of these modular homes? We're seeing the modular homes up and running now. We're seeing Ukrainians have moved into them and they're absolutely uh, perfect. And I think, I mean, initially, they, we, when when we used to t- speak about modular homes, we said, oh, they don't last long. They're a waste of money. You know, you're investing in something that you might only get 10 years out of. But now it now looks, looks like the quality of work that goes into these modular homes, that they can last for uh, 50 or 60 years, even in the short term. You know, put people into the modular uh, homes and then, you know, do the bigger work of the the building projects that, that, that need to be done because it's just the speed at which these modular homes can go up. Joe was on to us from Kilmalik. He said, we were due to get modular homes in Kilmalik. They started out testing work carried out on a council site, but nothing became of it. It is a site behind Glenfield Estate in uh, Kilmalik. I'm assuming, Joe, similar to the site, it was a council site in Mallow. They went in and did all the site testing work and it just turned out not to be suitable. So if, if they've stopped work and you're not hearing anything since, I imagine that's what it, that's what it is. John Paul, though, is going to get on to Limerick City and County Council just to find out what is going on and our modular house is going to progress in Kilmallock. Ger says the homeless numbers came out last week and now they're over 12,500 Irish people living in emergency accommodation as an Irish taxpayer. Why could they not give half of those modular homes to the Irish and the other half to the Ukrainians? We've got local elections coming up next year. Councillors will get battered when they go to the front doors. It should be a 50-50 mix. Ger feels the Irish government are turning people against each other by putting up houses like this. And, I, yeah, and you know, you could hear it in the text from Martin, whose daughter and granddaughter need housing and, and I don't know whether they're living in housing accommodation or whether they're couch surfing and um, people all, as we know, there's so many families putting up with extra people living in the house just because they won't see your son or a daughter end up in homeless accommodation. Uh, but it's, you know, it's leading to quite tense situations because houses, that, you know, three-bedroomed houses that were, you know, only ever built to accommodate, you know, maybe five or six people can now have ten people living in those houses just so that family members can look after their own and it causes tensions. So when people then hear that these gorgeous new brand new modular homes and I've seen, I haven't been in one but I've seen video footage uh, of them and they they look absolutely fantastic and people are, are thinking I would willingly live in one of those houses rather than trying to raise a family living in my parents box bedroom or living worse I think living in a hotel trying to raise a, a family. Irene in Butterman is worried about the services in Charleville they will need to be increased education, transport and access to medical care. Mikey in Nahini says you know listening to Councillor Ian Doyle when I asked him who's funding, where's the money coming from and he said it's coming from an EU fund. He said how come they can get EU funding for these homes but not homes for Irish people that are on waiting lists but I think that's something to do with the war. There's some kind of a fund there it must be for it's not just Ireland is getting it, other countries will be getting it uh, as well. Pat in Milford says Patricia why are they deciding to build these modular homes in the town of Charleville. I can't see why they can't put up these houses in small villages. Many villages are seriously struggling to survive because they don't have a population base. They've no post office, they've no shops in the village, for example. Also, many of the villages will have a small school and the schools are struggling to keep teachers. So if you were building houses in these areas, it would bring 
extra people into the village, but it would also bring children that would go into the school and it would secure this school uh, into the uh, future. Well, I, th- I suppose one of the reasons you're going to move refugees in that in the main are women and, and children without transport. So, I mean, if you're going into a place that doesn't have shops in walking distance or a post office, there would be a, there would be problem there with the infrastructure. And I know certainly when the Red Cross was involved, when people were offering up homes for Ukrainian refugees, a lot of people got turned down because the homes were too isolated and they weren't near regular bus uh, service. You know, you have to allow for that uh, as well. But certainly would it bring life into small villages? It certainly would. And Margaret says, Patricia, these Ukrainian people that are fleeing, everyone has to remember they are fleeing from war. Surely men, many amongst them are doctors. Uh, among them will be other professions. They are a very educated uh, nation just like most folks across the globe they're just trying to live in peace I don't know if many doctors travelled from Ukraine because obviously doctors by their very nature in a war situation are needed more than ever so I don't know if I've heard of many doctors I have heard of a lot of other professions uh, certainly that have travelled and many of the Ukrainians I mean the last time I looked into the number of Ukrainians that have arrived on our shores that have taken up work was actually just before Christmas because it came up uh, somebody was asking the the same question. Now I'm assuming that this number has increased but up to the end of uh, last year more than a third of the working age Ukrainian refugees in Ireland are in uh, jobs and like how do we know those figures? The figures are coming from revenue because they are all paying tax and uh, PRSI and there was a lot about 11,200 people from Ukraine were in uh, employment and that's more than a third of what they reckon there was about 30,000 up to before Christmas of working age because remember there's about 20,000 Ukrainian children that have arrived and then there's also about 10,000 pensioners that have arrived in this country. Obviously they wouldn't be classed of working age but I know the big problem with those of working age that many of those who have fleed are women with uh, children and why they love the idea of getting out and taking a job. Uh, Many of the the women who've arrived are mothers with children and they're not able to get accommodation because they can't get anybody to look after the children. Are they fearful about their, you know, their accommodation? That if they went out and got a job, would they lose their accommodation? And you know, you can understand why a mother will always put the future of their children and looking after their children to the forefront. But certainly uh, um, over a third of working aged Ukrainian refugees up to the end of Christmas, as they are sure that number has gone up, are in uh, employment. And many of them that did arrive are professionals. Now, there has been some problem with, you know, if you've got, say, just off the top of my head, like an engineer uh, arriving. I mean, obviously, for an engineer who had worked in Ukraine, working here, they need to check the qualifications and where they train similarly, you know, so there there will be issues around that. But I don't know on the doctor front, Margaret, that you're raising, uh, if there are many doctors that travelled, my gut instinct would tell me that doctors would have remained in Ukraine uh, to try and help wherever they uh, could. 0818103103. John Paul is taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862103103. C103 Jobs. Aragland Nursing Home in Bohabui. They've got a vacancy for a head chef. You can email a CV, please, to chris at araglinhouse.ie. School bus driver is required for the Kinsale Bannon Spittle area. Now, obviously, a D licence is required. Call 087 
47994466. Oliver Casey Plantire, they've got a vacancy for a rigid truck driver based in Mallow. It's for delivering plant and machinery. You must have a full clean C licence CV to Oliver Casey Hire at gmail.com. And St. Joseph's Daycare Centre, they're based in Rathmore. They have some community employment positions available. They're looking for a dining room assistant and they're also looking for two trainee care assistants. Now, no experience is necessary as full training will be provided. You can call 089 224754. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. All this week, I've teamed up with Fulcher Ireland to show you how you can have the best daycation ever. I'm going to be out experiencing a daycation and exploring some of the many things close to Cork, like Smuggler's Cove and the West Cork Model Railway Village giving you the inside scoop on how you can experience all the fun of a holiday in a single day. And I have a €100 Euro one-for-all voucher up for grabs for you to experience your own best daycation ever. Stay tuned for what's going to be an adventurous week on C103 with Fulcher Ireland. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 Court today on C103. Now, with a number of high-profile crimes happening in Dublin city centre of late, the issue of how to tackle crime and to make our streets safer has been debated by politicians and there's been countless column inches uh, written in various newspapers about it. We are one of the few countries where our police force are not routinely armed. So is it time to once again look at this issue? John Parker is Cork representative for the Guard, the representative Association and he joins me uh, this morning. Good morning to you, John. Good morning again, Patricia. Now, I suppose to explain firstly, we do have the armed response uh, units in, in every division. Is that enough? <clears throat> um, well, Patricia, I suppose there's been changes over the years and a consolidation as regards armed response. And the armed response units are multi-purpose, multi-task in that it's not all firearms they do come equipped for larger public order incidents. Um, <clears throat> for instance, they would have, um, we, we will say, like fire extinguisher-sized uh, um, pepper spray dispersants. Um, you know, um, they would be able to handle um, a lot of stuff that the ordinary member on the ground can't handle. The problem with this is that these people, they're so few and far between, and they're located strategically based in larger centres, um, and while they do patrol through many rural areas and our larger county towns, um, they're not always close to hand the way that a local officer would be. And um, <clears throat> it's not all, as we say, about armed response as regards guns, firearm. Um, they are equipped with taser, and taser can be very advantageous in a situation where you're looking to keep a person back f- from you. Um, often you will have an assailant who will run at you with an iron bar or a slash hook or something and having a baton or a small canister of pepper spray is not going to stop them. You need something that can operate from a distance. And that's where a taser would come in? <clears throat> that's 
where Taser comes in. I mean, there's a misconception about Tasers with a lot of people and they see them as a weapon of offence. And yes, that would be an offensive weapon, especially in the hands of a criminal. But when used by Gardaí, they are solely defensive. In other words, a Garda generally only uses them when they themselves or other people are being attacked. Um, and if you think about it, a guard who has an option to use a baton, which will inf- inflict, you know, bruises or, or other um, marks on a person, um, if you can use a taser, that there is no um, after effects yeah. in, in relation to it. So we would see taser often as being a de-escalation, and often you will have seen it. And, and, and I don't mean in the, the police crime stories, but you will see it when. There's YouTubes or when there's um, replaying of news on Sky or other international news uh, agencies, uh, the mere production of a taser and a person being warned the taser will be used is is frequently sufficient to de-escalate a situation. I've seen it it countless times. Who can currently deploy a taser in Ireland? Um, Tasers are limited at the moment to specialist groups and you're talking about the emergency response unit have it as a lower level of response and the armed support units regionally have them. Um, The thing about them is it is an expensive item and that would be probably one of the reasons that the Guard organisation would be slow to roll it out. But I personally would propose that, you know, if there was initiated a, a pilot project where, let's say, that a number of Guard officers in each area were trained fully in the use of, of TASER. Um, it would have TASER available locally at a minute's notice if one or two people on each shift in each town um, mm. were properly trained. It's not all about immediately roll out everything to everyone and be swamped with trying to train people. But um, it's it's all about it being available locally. Um, and and an, an option to use, just because you have it on your belt doesn't mean that you're going to reach for it on the first occasion. There's often occasions when there's other alternatives available. Yeah, and, and I think in particular for the rural areas, I think it's a very valid point that you've made. You know, the, the if, if a situation is getting out of control and the armed response unit are needed, by the time the armed response unit have arrived, that situation could have escalated to completely out of control. Yes, and in most instances, you can't preempt that this is a um, violent, dangerous situation that you're going to go into. Um, often, it's the most simplest of of um, calls that you go to. That um, you know somebody takes umbrage and takes issue, or they're inebriated, or otherwise um, out of control of their senses on, on um, illegal substances. And the next thing is you have somebody who, you know, for some reason or another, violently attacks a guard or a member of their own family and you need a situation where you can immediately um, neutralise the person and it it just operates for a short period of time, time enough for somebody to get a handcuffs on a person and to restrain them. Mm. I didn't realise they're so expensive. Yeah, look, I suppose, you know, if you if you look at the the most basic of of, of we'll say the smartphones, you know you're talking about thirteen hundred, fifteen hundred for a lot of phones, and um, this particular item is is high tech, has to deliver um, a high charge from a small compact piece of equipment, um, you know, and uh, I suppose there's a premium on on these type of of uh, equipment as well. Do other countries have 
ordinary members of the Gardaí walk, like the police officers walking around with tasers? <coughs> Um, yeah, a lot, a, lot, a lot of a lot of countries have uh, taser issued, um, or you know they would be as I as I said a unit locally based that has them rather than um, you know rather than having to expect let's say in our in our case um, armed support units having to come twenty miles in a, in either direction um, if if our local town uh, in Mallow let's say was to expect um, something that needed a taser response. Okay, all right. And um, are you continuing with this ballot with the vote of no confidence in the guard, the commissioner Drew Harris? Uh, well, I would I would describe it as a survey, a, a ballot as regards the confidence. There is no motion um, being put forward. Members are being um, asked to um, put forward their their personal views in relation to to the matter. It came out of a, a central executive committee meeting. Um, the other week, and the proposal is to ask the membership whether they are being supported, I suppose, and whether they feel that the promises that have been made over the last number of years in relation to issues are being effectively followed through on, or whether they were just, you know, spoken words with a view to keeping um, people happy and to placating people. We're waiting too long for a lot of initiatives to actually come to fruition, and, uh, you know, uh, a number of members have adequately described it as the straw that broke the camel's back. Is morale still very low in, in some parts, John? <clears throat> it is, yeah. Look, I mean, there's great satisfaction in a lot of um, sections of the job, especially when um, you um, follow through from a victim of crime uh, towards getting a successful outcome and conviction of the people involved and them being put away and in, indeed kept in in prison for an adequate period of time rather than short sentencing or releases but um, as regards family friendly and being able to um, maintain it as, as a full time occupation and bring up a young family um, I, I really do worry for the younger generation coming in because the terms and conditions have changed drastically and um, I suppose the main thing that concerns people in a job apart from pay, pensions and other things that are on the long thing. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. 
So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. ...is day-to-day working conditions and the predictability of, you know, being able to go home to your family on a certain day. Um, to be able to take annual leave, which has been a huge mm. problem over the last year, year or two, um, it's, we need to get the numbers up. And unfortunately, the retention issue is is a recruitment issue because if people coming in see that those that are in are jumping ship, um, it doesn't exactly you know augur well for um, people coming in. And we have had a high number of uh, resignations from people who have come in and engaged in the training and left before their probationary period is up because they just felt the job wasn't for them. And we've never had that before, uh, John. You know, I mean, no, if, if no. people went forward for... Um, a job with the guards and it was you know, celebrated in the na- all the neighbours were out to say well done you know John's after getting into the guards and it was seen as a job for life yeah yeah yes yeah, indeed and uh, I suppose the job was was much easier um you, you might wonder why with the advent of technology and everything supposedly to make things easier for you but it's work practices it's the constantly looking over your shoulder it's the fact that unless you have a witness with you to back up you know, what you've seen, which the body cams will probably be in one respect and that they will be the silent witness that will show that you acted properly. It's the oversight, the complaints. Um, you can't do right from doing wrong in some occasions. And as I said to you, the work-life balance where people are continuously on call and being asked to come in and cover shifts from absent colleagues um, because of the uh, low numbers that are in the job, Um you know, there was predictability before and you could you could plan your downtime and you made up with your family um, for the times you were away by, you know, keeping sacrosanct the few days you had off. But even now, that's under threat. So uh, it just has become something that people, when they reach the retirement age, they're leaving. They're not staying on the extra five and six years. They're just pulling the plug and um, moving on. Yeah, and then I, I did hear on the that you know one of the one of the answers that they're putting forward or proposals that they're putting forward in order on the retention uh, issue uh, was the suggestion to extend the retirement age from sixty to sixty two or sixty three. And I have to say, any Garza that I've spoken to who's getting out at sixty or just running for the hills, I don't know if if there would be many would want to stay on, John. Yeah, the, the, the feedback that we've had from people as regards people staying on that bit longer are those who joined at a very later age and would not be making up their pension and they would be doing it solely on the grounds that um, their pension would be underfunded and they need the additional years. Um, and indeed, some people who would have left on work sharing or job sharing and would have been out of the workforce for a period of time. Um, other than that, there aren't very many 
um, look, looking to stay on. There are a few that are in specialised uh, jobs and they're quite happy with them. They're vital um, to, to the job and, um, you know, they're in the main, the, the people that are thinking of staying on. It's handy to have the facility there, but it isn't going to be the solution to the problem. You yeah, know. it's not going to keep the numbers up uh, for sure. All right, listen, uh, John, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme. Good morning to you. That is uh, John Parker, who is a Corp rep for the Garda uh, Representative uh, Association. And, and we started the conversations about tasers and uh, should some of our Gardaí, when they're out on the beat, have uh, tasers, particularly those, I think, in rural areas, because it's just taking so long for the armed response unit because obviously they're in the urban areas where they're needed more. But if something goes wrong in a rural area, you can have a guardie, maybe one or two of them on their own and can end up in a situation where a taser could really de-escalate a situation and ultimately could save a life. Somebody says, Patricia, forget about your tasers and your cans of mace. If there is a yob coming down the street with the machete, the guardie needs, needs an MP5, which I'm assuming is some kind of a gun. Uh, and that's what they need to put the, uh, yeah, well, that's what the guard, yes, it was, don't uh, want to do. Uh, 0818103103. And somebody, by the way, is just sending in a text to say they've just found a wallet. It contains bank cards, etc. They found it in Dunstore's car park on in on the Bandon Road. So if you hear of someone, they may not even realise that they've dropped their wallet. But if you hear of somebody who says, oh, I lost my bank, I lost my wallet with my bank cards in it. And if they were in the Duns car park on the Bandon Road, uh, this listener has handed them into the reception at Duns stores, that's where they can collect the same. Now I've spoken on this programme before with Cork North West Fianna Fáil Councillor Gubnet Moynihan who put forward a suggestion that the roundabout at the eastern side of McCroom, part of the N22 bypass, should be officially named after the wonderful women of Common Naman. Well, the campaign came to an end when the proposal was defeated by the town's municipal district council and uh, Councillor Gubnet Moynihan once again joins me on the programme. Good morning to you Gubnet. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, the council had to get <laughs> advice from Transport Infrastructure Ireland about your mm-hmm. suggestion to call this roundabout after coming Amman. Explain to us what came back from Transport Infrastructure Ireland. Um, Patricia, I'd love to be able to answer that question, but I actually didn't get that information. We weren't furnished with a hard copy of it, but we were given a summary um, saying that TII... Uh, felt that it needed to be, have geographical significance, the name that was on, put on a roundabout. Um, but I suppose <clears throat> for me, like this is a re- reserve function of, of councillors. They don't have very many powers, yeah. but this is one and that's a naming of a, of a roundabout. And I suppose I brought this up last December in, in full council, looking for support to name the roundabout after the Common the Man um, ladies, I felt that they they hadn't got the acknowledgement or the recognition at that time or since. Now, but like it, time, it has got better over time, you know, the recognition for the members of Common the Man. Um, but I just felt that as a council, like because this was going to be such a major infrastructure in this area, this bypass, um, major infrastructure, it could be a huge acknowledgement by Cork County Council saying we're going to name this roundabout after these ladies because do you know what? Um, this is our time to recognise the work they did. It was men and women who fought for our freedom at that time in the War of Independence. Men and women, 
but the women weren't acknowledged and they were the ones that missed out. They were the ones that weren't mentioned in the history books. Mm. And this would have been a perfect opportunity to use the, the freedoms, the powers we have now because of those people to use it, to give them recognition, to give Komunaman recognition. Yeah, and, and I remember not, I remember speaking with you last December when when you brought up the suggestion and, and what and yeah. what struck me because we've been talking about all the the the, the hundred the centenary celebrations that rightly uh, went on over the last yeah. uh, year or so. Um and and we spoke about the fact that Komunaman didn't get the same certainly they didn't have the same commemorations that the men uh, had. And what I liked about the roundabout suggestion was in another hundred years, when you and I, Governor, are pushing up daisies, there will be, a, you know, a generation of people who will drive through a roundabout and see Kamenaman and will know about Kamenaman and, and maybe a conversation will start. Exactly, exactly, Patricia. That Google Maps at the moment yeah. could potentially be shouting out Kamenaman uh, roundabout and it could start that conversation. And whatever version that's there in 50 years time, that will start the conversation. I mean, maybe people don't know, but it's, you know, maybe people wouldn't know who they are, but it would give the opportunity to open those doors, to have those conversations. And like, to be honest, like around this area, that roundabout would, would be a gateway into we'll say the 7th and 8th Battalion, which had over 200 Kumanaman members. So it would have been, it would have been a gateway into a whole area where Kumanaman members were, but they weren't acknowledged. And like, it's important too, that it was as a group that they were going to be acknowledged. Like, because just for fear, you might miss one person's name. Like, it's better to have it just Kumanaman because they were the ordinary women of that time. And to give them the status, like give them the recognition that they deserve, you know, and like this, this being a major infrastructure on this part of the county, like would be a real statement, you know, and a real acknowledgement to those women. And like, there's also the significance of that area, like when, when common man members were banned out of the town, like they were, they were going into the river at that spot at night, swimming in, doing their doing their deeds, whether it was taking in, whether it was transferring information or guns, whatever it was, they were going into the river at that spot, into town, in the darkness, coming back out, out, out of the river at that spot. Risking like, their lives, risking, risking their, exactly. their lives. Like they were the ones and that were keeping the men on the run, the volunteers on the run, a hide. They were the ones that were um, helping the wounded. They were the ones that had the hooded cloak on them going through McCroom, hoping that they weren't going to be searched when they had guns on them. They were the ones that were working the post office, gathering that information when they were just seen as insignificant women at the time. But really, there they were gathering a whole lot of information to make things possible, like and to bring played, us to yeah, the world we have today. They, you know? played, they, they played a major role. And when you brought it up at Gobnet at full council last December, what kind of backing did you get to the notion of calling the roundabout after coming them on? Fierce, fierce. Like many councillors came in on it. Massive, massive support for it. Why wouldn't there be like, do you know, massive support on it. People thought it was a great idea. Um, yeah. And the chief executive, the reply I got back, very positive as well, just said it was referring it back to the municipal district to make the, the final decision on it. And like, you know, I've received loads of positive feedback in regards to this proposal since and like what I was saying to people is wait now you know there should be a public consultation because I want your views on this I want to make sure you all want this to happen and open the door to a public consultation and get the feedback yeah if people are happy with this being named coming to mind great do you know what I mean um like so there was positive 
feedback in the room, in the full council room in December. And since then, fierce positive feedback. I suppose other people are looking at their own grand, uh, grand aunts and grandmothers and great grandmothers and, and realising that they were members of Come the Man. And, you know, only hearing these stories because we'll say since last December, I mentioned about naming a roundabout, you know, so it has yeah, started yeah. Has to started raise the awareness yeah, even and, since. Started, and start the conversation that I'm hoping will still uh, future generations will be having in 100 years. Exactly. So, so instead, exactly. it's a roundabout that's all that's known as cool cower. And now it's going to stay as cool cower. Is that what's come out of this? I th- it was voted. Come on, the man was voted against. And there was two two of us who voted for it and four who voted against it. And did they... So uh, that's where it is right now. All right. So, uh, and at the moment, it's known as the cool cower roundabout. Oh, my apologies. Those four councillors voted to call it the cool car roundabout. Okay. So is, 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 that, so, is that it then? Is that what it's going to um, be? I'm... I'm not very clear on what the next step is with the council. You know, I don't know where it goes from here, um, how it processes, but um, there's a clear indication there that it's not wanted by councillors um, in this area, that it would be called Come on the Man Roundabout. So that's that's the feedback I've gotten from that meeting with that vote going against Come on the Man. And it's against these there's, women. There's fight and talk from you, Governor. You're not letting this. Uh, you're not letting Patricia, this. Drop. I feel very disappointed. I feel so disappointed for those women. Like I just feel this could have been, this could have been a great thing for these women. Like as you said, like in hundred years' time, whatever version of it's there, you know that it'll still still be talked about. Like. I know it's only a roundabout, but it's it's the statement you're making. It's the statement the council is making when it's naming that roundabout. And don't forget that there are many roundabouts around the country named after people. Like, do you know, I was looking for this for a group of ordinary but very extraordinary ladies. I just wanted the roundabout there for them so that they would their memories would be kept alive every time Google Maps would say, come on the man roundabout, yeah. coming up. Take take the third exit from coming them on roundabout. I'd love to hear that. Exactly. What you need to do, you need to go back to the to the TII because seemingly the TII say it's part of the TII traffic signals manual. Didn't know there was such a thing. It has legislative effect which governs the naming of roundabouts and states they have to have a geographic significance with relation to any naming of a roundabout. But I'm sure we have roundabouts that don't have a geographic. What geographical significance does the Jacqueline Tunnel have? What geographical significance does the MD O'Shea roundabout that's on the same N22 have? What geographical significance does Feeney roundabout on the same N22 have? There are many of them, Patricia. Yeah, there's ways around. There's ways around everything. And TII have, I have a letter from TII saying it is down to the council. Okay. It is the council's decision at the end of the day. Okay. And just... if you want, if you want to, like, all you need to do is look at any roundabout around the country and you'll realise they don't have any geographical significance either. So why, in the name of God, can't this one be called come on the man roundabout. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it just, yeah, it doesn't make, it does certainly doesn't make uh, any sense at all. Okay, so could you bring it back to the, to the full, because this was at the municipal district. Can you bring it back to the full council meeting, somebody is saying? Well, the, this, this, 
since I've started this process, process and I've brought it back to the municipal district, it's been lagging in the municipal district for the last few months because councillors have been questioning whether it's um, uh, councillors, um, whether councillors have the right to name a roundabout and wh wh what role TI have, have on it. So this has been going over and back for a while. So I would love to tell you I'm clear on what the next step for the council are, but I'm not because the goalposts keep moving as to what's the process of naming a roundabout. Okay, I can see a lot of texts coming in saying, fair play to governors, keep fighting. Uh, stay there because Mary wants to come in on this discussion. Uh, good morning, Mary. Hi, Melissa, how are you? I'm, I'm, I'm very good. You're pointing out the name of um, some men. Yeah. Now, I mean, if the Irish transport people say it has to be geographically specific, yeah. I don't see anything geographically specific about Patrick's Bridge in Cork, Christy Ring Bridge, and in Dublin, um, exactly. Daniel O'Connell Bridge. So if they can't exactly. have a name that isn't geographically specific, they'll have to change all those names. That's a good point. In terms of gender exactly. equality. Oh, you're bringing in the... Yeah, because they're all named after men. Yes. <laughs> Very I'm, relevant I'm just, point. I'm exactly. just, um, I'm just um, putting the cat among the pigeons. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're right. You know, you just need to look around I the country know. at the other roundabouts and see the names of them. And, and Ma question what's Mary, going on here. Mary, would you like would you like a roundabout named after Common Aman? I would. Yeah, yeah. I'd actually like oh, a, 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 all the roundabouts named after women because women are better drivers. Women are what? Much better drivers. Oh, there's the cat amongst the pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Mary, thank you for that. Okay, and, and Gobnet, I can see a lot of people are saying, keep up, don't let this one drop, uh, Gobnet. Uh, keep going, keep fighting the fight. Okay, we'll stay in contact. Keep us up to date on this one, Gobnet. Thanks, Patricia. Okay, thank you. And, thank uh, you. Thanks right. a million for joining us. That is Cork uh, Northwest uh, County Councillor uh, Gobnet uh, Moynihan. Should that roundabout be named after coming Amman or should it remain as the cool cower uh, roundabout. Somebody says when Mary says that we all the roundabouts should be named after women because women are better drivers. Martin Infamoy very quickly says women may be better drivers but men are better listeners says uh, Martin Infamoy. Hi Patricia. There was a fantastic drama called Turin Dove. It had a great common man representative and rightly so. Tell Governor to keep fighting for it. Love to see the roundabout called after common man. Henry said surely Governor should have known that the, the roundabout had to be named after a geographic uh, with geographic significance. She didn't. And she says when she went back to the TII, the TII are saying it is the reserve function of the councillors. So we're, we're trying to find out somewhere in the middle uh, where uh, if it can or can't be named after something that hasn't got a geographical uh, significance. And then Henry, rather tongue-in-cheek, says, did I hear Fina Gale wanted to name a roundabout after the Black and Tans after they wanted to celebrate them a couple of years ago? Says Henry and Catherine said, seriously, naming a roundabout have councillors nothing better uh, to do with a few reserve functions in fairness. And that was pointed out by uh, Gubnet. But a lot of people are with Gubnet on this one and would love to see that roundabout named after Common Naman. And hi Patricia, just to give you a heads up to you and other listeners, if you didn't see it, there was a programme last night on RTE at half past nine and it was on Dr Noel Brown. Well worth a look back on the RTE player, what he did when he was Minister for Health and for all hospitals that were built during that time in the Dáil. What a fantastic man. I always remember my late mother speak about Dr Noel Brown and what a great Minister for Health he was and she wasn't a very politically minded woman but I used to always remember whenever Dr Noel Brown's name 
was mentioned and my, when my mother was alive she'd always talk about what a great nanny was so I would definitely make a point of watching that on the plier thank you for that uh, heads up okay we need to take a break we have news at uh, 12 on the way Joe Heffernan not with us uh, today but what we are going to be talking about in the next start it's an interesting chat about cousins and the role the cousins play in our lives did you grow up playing with cousins as an adult are you still friendly with some of your cousins and that bond that you can have with uh, cousins if you have a story to tell about cousins we'd love uh, to hear from you a lot of uh, whatsapps and texts coming in we're trying to keep up to date uh, with all of them uh, somebody says uh, Patricia in regards to the naming of the roundabout may I make a suggestion please and call it pistol roundabout about and tell the council hold their fire. That's from Jim, Jimmy in uh, Bantry. Remember it's only suggestion but rather apt I think says our Jimmy in Bantry. Thank you for that. And just to somebody else there's no name on it who says never going to listen to the radio again because they've been trying all morning to get through to John Paul and um, the, it's only John Paul answering the phones and the phones at times can be particularly busy. You can get other quieter times where it's easier to get through but it can be extremely busy at other times so this is rather for frustrated and annoyed that John Paul didn't take uh, uh, his or her call I don't know but all, all I can say is he is doing his best and he gets through as many of them as he can Okay I want to clear the and we will get back to um, I have a lot of texts and WhatsApps and calls uh, to read out but first uh, I need to do our Cork Opera House Lord of the Dance uh, competition every day this week we're giving away a pair of tickets to get you along to see Lord of the Dance and Lord of the Dance was Michael Flat these follow-up show to uh, Riverdance it became a global uh, success and there's a brand new show uh, with Lord of the Dance for example there's new staging there's new costumes there's new choreography plus cutting edge technology with special effects and remarkable uh, lighting and it is kicking off in the Opera House on Wednesday the 9th of uh, August your question today it's an A or a B answer along with your name and address to 0862 103 103. 2023 marks a significant anniversary for Lord of the Dance. Is it A, the 10th anniversary or B, the 25th anniversary? So A, the 10th or B, the 25th. Now I've been mentioning what anniversary it is previously. Just don't want to mention it now because it is in, I don't want to be giving the answer away. But if you know the answer A or B, you can text or WhatsApp now to 086 103 103 with either A, the 10th anniversary or B, the 25th anniversary along with your name and address. And then we will select one of the correct answers. That person will win a pair of tickets to go along and see Lord of the Dance at the Opera House and will go forward and could possibly have their prize upgraded on Friday to a hotel stay dinner along with their pair of uh, tickets. And by the way, the Lord of the Dance is at the Cork Opera House. It opens on Wednesday the 9th of August and it will be there for five nights. Well worth going along to see. Now, as I say, a lot of commentary uh, in two different very, very lengthy texts in to do with housing because we have been uh, talking about housing today on the programme as well. But I just want to bring you, there are two very different uh, stories. One says, uh, morning Patricia, I'm a mum of three. Sadly, a relationship ended. So I decided to return to college and I got my bachelor's and now I've got a great, secure, permanent job. Can I just say, well done. I have a deposit and mortgage approval. Mum asked me to move in about four years ago as she'd had a serious accident and she does live alone as a widow. She is now in the process 
process of transferring her house to me and the plan is I'm going to refurb it and then build mum a granny flat. We're all very excited about this. My mum is amazing and she deserves a future where she's looked after and will forever be surrounded by family. Family. My girls also deserve a forever home. Anyway, I'm down to the stage of getting quotes to do the refurbishment work on the main house and also to build the granny house. My first quote arrived this week. They want half a million euro. I nearly died. It now feels impossible to go forward with the plan. This was a plan to house a family with teenagers and also to house my mum who's nearly 80 and feels vulnerable living on her own. I know I'm extremely lucky to have had the house transferred to me but at the end of the day I'm not a millionaire and I'd need to be a millionaire to get anything done. I am so uh, devastated. Well, I'd go I'd go back and keep looking at uh, quotes, maybe change the amount of work that you're going to get done. If you're refurbing an old house, are there grants uh, available? I mean, don't just take the first quote. It seems crazy because you imagine for a half a million what you could build rather than just doing a refurb. I don't know what type of a refurb, but maybe rethink your plans. Don't give up. And here's an example of somebody who didn't give up to say, good morning, Patricia. I have texted you in the past when my husband and I were facing imminent homelessness with one child. We're in our 50s and we were really desperate when we contacted you before. We'd been renting for over 15 years, always always thinking we'd never get enough together to get a significant mortgage after many knockbacks. My husband then sadly had a heart attack and he was the sole earner. So I thought we will now never get mortgage protection and we don't qualify for social housing. Our could not come up with the shortfall for a shared ownership or a shared purchase scheme. And although shared, it was still out of reach for most ordinary people, including us, who are unfortunately paying unreasonable, unsustainable rents. Now, there are lots of schemes to make the government look good, but mostly, most of them impractical and certainly out of our reach. We had good enough savings and we decided to apply again for another mortgage. And we were surprised when, after a long, invasive and very very stressful process, we were approved. But there was one downfall. We would have to leave the area we have been living in for the last 30 years. It's the area where we've raised our adult children. All of our friends live there. Our social outings all happen there. And also, more importantly, it's where our youngest child, who has special needs, attends school. We looked high and low and we soon realised for the amount of mortgage approval we had, and the price of the house we would have to buy, we would have to move elsewhere. Uh, without government help, it was our only option to buy a property that we could afford. And that finally happened after 12 months of searching. Been outbid, losing out. Sale agreed has finally happened on our forever home and at a great price. We took the plunge and we've ended up having to move 45 minutes away from where we currently live. We're now living in the countryside where we're a stone's throw away from Mallowtown. We're now surrounded by my husband's family and we have a safe, secure environment for our special son. That was the most daunting, hard, emotional decision. And that's my point. People need to look further afield, take the plunge, fight for your mortgage. The government will not be there for most people. So go out on your own and fight for a home. We did not think it would ever be possible, but it is. There are lots of banks lending. You need to compromise, though, on your area. The good news doesn't stop there. Our 24-year-old son, who's a qualified electrician, has just secured a mortgage and has just purchased his first home. Now, it's another doer-upper, but it's livable and it's 20 minutes from the city. Again, he compromised on location 
education and we couldn't be prouder of him. One last comment. The very much advertised renovation grant, that doesn't work for everyone's situation. There's a time frame from application to receiving approval. And if, like us, you're in a rush to leave on an overstay rental and you just need to get into the new home, then you can't wait. So if you're going down that route, please apply as soon as possible. Now, we ended up not being able to wait, so we had to spend all of our savings on getting the house up to scratch so that we could move in and live in it. We are getting there. It will take time. But then Rome wasn't built in a day. The main thing is we are finally home owners. Don't give up. Lending rules have changed uh, a lot. Go and see a mortgage advisor. Thanking you. And that's from, um, is there a name on that? Thank you. That's it, it, And it's a good news story and it just shows um, when you perseverance. And I do remember your initial story. I do remember you talking about renting for 15 years and how frantic you were. And at that stage, you were just looking to find another rental property and thought that you'd never get on the property ladder and you have. I wish you nothing but love and luck in your home and hope everything works out for you. Well done to you. 0818 103 103. And thank you for sharing the story uh, with us. Now, earlier on, I mentioned a wallet that was found somewhere in the city. Well, we've now had somebody back on to us about a wallet that was lost either around Parnell Place or on the 245 bus service from Parnell Place in Cork to Bandit. It's a brown wallet. It contained cash and could also have been lost somewhere in Bandon Town. We have the person's number. This is different out of the wallet that we got the text in earlier. So wallets on the missing list uh, today. So if anybody found uh, a wallet in and around the city or it could have been in Bandon, uh, you can give us a call, please. John Paul has the listener's contact uh, details on 0818 103 103. And let me go back to, oh, do we stay on housing for a sec? Because this is kind of to do with modular homes and why are we not building more modular homes? Billy is in Clonakilty and he says back in the 60s, his aunt and uncle built something called a Rohue house. Now, I haven't heard of it before, but it was obviously something that they were building back in the 60s. He said they were concrete blocks. 10 feet to 8 feet were delivered and then it was pebble dashed with lime and stone all made from recycled crushed glass. He said today their children live in that same house and while they put in new windows and insulated them the house has stood the test of time. Do we not need to go back and look at the way we built houses now we built houses uh, quicker and I suppose that's where the modular uh, homes come into it as well. Someone also then by WhatsApp says all this war is now an excuse at the start the government said they were only bringing in women and children they'd only be here for six months and now look what is happening who won't work because everything is free they come for the houses um we need an election now and Irish citizens have to take to the streets. OK, listen, when the war started, everybody hoped, including the Ukrainian people themselves, everybody hoped the war would be over in uh, six months. I don't think you can blame uh, the refugees for the war continuing. I think Putin is the man you should be blaming there. But then it's this whole divide when you hear about modular homes, which, of course, we started the programme with because there's a plan for modular homes in Ukraine. You have everybody. It's the Irish versus Ukraine. And it really breaks my heart to hear and see it, see it. But unfortunately, that it, it's, it's happening for people who are in need of housing. Like, for example, a listener says, Patricia, my daughter and her children are, as we speak, living in a hotel room. They lost their home. They were renting the house for 50 
15 uh, years. When any politician comes to my door, I tell you, I will slam the door in their faces. I will never again vote for any of them. Myself and my husband are working, I feel, to pay for Ukrainians and my daughter and her children have to live in a hotel room. Patricia, this government will be wiped out in the next election and I will do my part by making sure who I vote for. God, it's so sad, isn't it? And one more thing, Patricia, the modular homes, 40 euro a month for everything. And I don't, I don't know where that figure is coming from. What are we supposed to do when we retire next year? This uh, country is no longer uh, for the Irish. Someone else said on the suggestion that why don't the modular homes for the Ukrainians be built in villages and it would put, you know, a population back into the village villages. Somebody said, no, I wouldn't be in agreement with that. I have no objection at all to refugees fleeing war. But we have a con- traffic congestion issue, especially around school times. It's appa- appalling. We can't even access local shops and post offices. We need to start using more buses to transport children to and from school. Someone else says, Patricia, it's a disgrace. We, the Irish, are now the foreigners. We seem to have no uh, rights. You're afraid to open your mouth because you are classed as racist. And Patricia, I know a guy who works with those modular homes and he said they're absolutely perfect. Why doesn't the government just wake up and understand that modular homes can and will sort out our housing crisis a monkey with no brains would understand this. My daughter and her chil- her child are living in a, her par- living in with her parents in a very small enough house. It cannot uh, continue. Oh uh, eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Our lines are open. The C one zero three Cork Diary with Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. The new Bantry Memory Cafe that takes place on the first Wednesday of every month, which means tomorrow is the first Wednesday in August. So from eleven a.m. to one p.m. in the Maritime Hotel, this free cafe helps to provide a a warm welcoming place for people living with dementia, cognitive impairment and indeed for their friends and family to meet others who are in a similar situation as well as health and social care professionals. You can contact Lorna for further information 087 4001763. Fremont Weekly Sessions is on tomorrow the 2nd of August with music by Alan Finn. Admission will be €10 and it does include uh, teas. And social dancing will go on in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic on Friday night from 9 to 12 12 midnight with music by Dermot Lyons. And there will be a car boot sale in Connor Sports Complex next Saturday from half past seven in the morning until two in the afternoon. All proceeds will go to fund local amenities. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. See mig.ie. For Zero Festival FOMO, listen to C103's exclusive online station, Sounds of Summer. We've got the biggest tunes from your favourite festival stars playing non-stop. Are you ready? Listen at c103.ie or download our app. Sounds of Summer with Kildare Village, home of Colorama, Ireland's most stylish street festival. A colourful mix of live music, street art and wellness events until August 20th. Stream it now for chill vibes only at c103.ie. C103.
103's Irish Sunday is the big show on your radio. Sunday mornings from 10. Four hours of all-time favourites from Clean Hagen to Mike Denver. Susan McCann to Derek Ryan. And Daniel O'Donnell to Nathan Carter. It's Cork's greatest hits, guaranteed. And everyone is Irish. Join us Sunday mornings from 10am. Irish Sunday on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Cork Today on C103. And by the way, our, you can stop texting us for the Cork Opera House Lord of the Dance competition. Our winner today is Christine Harrington in Manan Bridge. Congratulations, uh, Christine. You won a pair of tickets to go to the Lord of the Dance 25th anniversary show opening in the Opera House on the 9th of uh, August. And we've more of those tickets to give away across the week. And Christine Harrington in Manan Bridge, you're also in with the chance of having your prize upgraded to uh, an overnight hotel stay and dinner so uh, tune in on Friday. Now with the summer holidays upon us many children will spend time with their cousins especially those that may come to visit during the summer holidays or they may spend time together on an extended family holiday. Irish Examiner columnist Jennifer Horgan wrote a really interesting piece on the magic of cousins and how we're all truly blessed to have them. So we invited Jennifer to join us on the programme this afternoon. Good afternoon to you Jennifer. Morning, Patricia. Uh, you're you're welcome to the program. You you wrote a really delightful Thank piece. Thank you. Just t- what prompted you to write it? I was actually at a party last week with some friends, and a friend of mine. She just kind of sat back in her chair, and out of nowhere, she just said, "Aren't cousins brilliant?" Um, and I asked her, you know, yeah, where did that come from? And she said she was just back from a holiday with her sister and all their kids, and you know, the, the thought just struck her. So I hadn't really heard it being articulated before so you know I thought why not why not give it some space and 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 that person is right I mean what what is it about cousins they can be so amazing and they can make great confidence absolutely so like in the piece I sort of I I recall times I spent with my own cousins and, and one cousin in particular my parents used to send me down to Kerry and we'd spend just weeks kind of cycling around and singing songs and forming together um, and I think it's it's something to do with the fact that they are family um, but they're not so intensely close you know as siblings you don't have the same politics maybe Mm. but they're they're a little bit more than friends you know you don't have to put in the same effort in that you can go years without seeing them and you still quickly meet up and reconnect you know so it's it's just I think there's great security as well kind of in having family beyond the immediate family you know that you know you come from a bigger tribe I suppose. Yeah, and I think because because I I do agree, and I think at times you can be closer to a cousin, uh, particularly if you had very you know close bonding when when you were children. You can be closer to a cousin than you are to a sibling, and I think sometimes you don't have that rivalry that siblings have. You don't have Absolutely. that with cousins. Yeah, and I think you tend to be paired with a cousin the same age as you. Yeah. And that, that sort of helps, doesn't it? Because like I was the youngest in a family of four and you're always trying to keep up with the other ones. Whereas when I was with a cousin my own age, I kind of felt, you know, instantly more relaxed about it. Uh, not to take away from obviously lovely sibling relationships, yeah. <laughs> but there is just something, it feels a bit freer, you know, that you're kind of, you can be yourself in your own space. Um, but there is that comfort of family and and knowing, I suppose, that their parent 
came from the same place as your parents. You know, there's something lovely about that. And even though you might not know much about the kind of original family home, you just have a sense of it. Um, yeah, and I certainly, so yeah, I think, and, yeah, and I think growing up, um, probably the highlight of the summer was the, for us, it was the English cousins. You know, with their posh, oh, which we thought they had posh little English accents. Um, thinking about it now, but it was was them coming over? That was probably the most exciting couple of weeks of the summer. Absolutely, I had the same thing, Patricia, and yeah. I think even now, like we're all in our forties, they still have a sort of a shine about them. You know, like that they're, you know, <laughs> even though I've done plenty of travelling since, I still kind of associate that exotic kind of, you know. Um, <laughs> vibe uh, with them so yeah it's it's it is a wonderful thing as you say these are the weeks you know when it's happening all over Ireland and cousins won't know you know really the significance maybe of the time they're spending together now but when they reach their their 40s like me or or beyond I think I hope it'll it'll come back to them you know they'll realize and and because we now have so many overseas workers we are now doing yes. the kind of the similar. There's many, there's many, you know, little children heading back to Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, Belgium, Germany. They're going home to maybe grandparents. Absolutely. And I think it's so anchoring for them. I, I, I teach in a secondary school and I hear, you know, young children from other countries telling me about their grandmother's house in Poland or, or wherever. Yeah. Um, and I love that they have that, you know, so even though they're obviously in Ireland, and they're invested in Ireland, they still have that place you know, that home where they come from and, where, you know, where they celebrate their culture. And it's it's so important. So, um, yeah, cousins give us that connection, don't they? Yeah. yeah and, and I think for many of us, um, unless you live close by, we only meet up at the like the family occasions, the births, deaths and, and marriages. But mm. it, it doesn't matter when you last met, that cousin connection. As soon as you're all back in the room That's together, it. isn't it? it? It's, it's the strangest thing. <laughs> It is. It's, it doesn't take anything. Like I, the, the, the cousin I, I, I write about, I rarely see her. But yeah. the minute I do see her, I'm back there and I'm back to being 12 or 13 again. And and it's in a way, I, I almost feel like it's a relationship that doesn't need to be analysed. And here I've gone and analysed it. But, <laughs> um, you know, it, it is. It's a very, very special thing. And obviously there can be physical similarities, but but it's, it's more than that. It's a kind of, uh, you know, coming from the same source. Um, and yeah, and just, do, do, just, just do being you, that. Do you come from a big family? Have you lots of cousins on both sides? So my two sides are very different. I've got on one side, I've loads, I've dozens of cousins. So my dad had like nine brothers and two oh. sisters. And then, yeah, so there's there's a, there's a big gang of us. And then on the other side, I only have four cousins um, on my mother's side. And uh, so I have a very kind of different relationship with the two sides. I'd say my dad's side, I wouldn't know a lot of them personally, but I would still, I love seeing them, you know, and, I, and most of us are in Cork. So there's a lovely kind of connection there. Um on my mum's side then it, I suppose it's it's a lot closer um because there's only four of them um and you know th- th- my my mum lost her parents when she was quite young it that kind of binds us as well you know yeah um yeah. so yeah I, I do I I really do cherish my cousins and that cousin relationship and you 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 wrote you wrote about your husband he's got the unusual situation of double cousins 
Yeah, it's so, and, and we we only found out recently that actually genetically it makes you more like a, a half sibling. Um, and they have spent loads of time together since they were young. Um, and they, their relationships are very special and he's very lucky. It's like he has a, just an, ex, you know, an expanded family. Yeah, because I, I spoke with somebody uh, recently who was an only child um, and his mother sadly passed away and he lost his father a number of years ago. And he started to tell me like he's an only child, so he didn't have any siblings at the funeral. But both his parents were only children, so he didn't even have any first cousins. Right. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, you don't even have the first cousins to be around you. Because, you know, again, the Irish funeral, the first cousins will be, will be rallying straight away. And are you watching your own yeah. children now play with their cousins, Jennifer? Yes, and yeah. it's lovely. It is lovely. And it's, it's it's bonding for, you know, adult siblings as well, I think, to see their kids playing. And um, I think you're right. Like, I, I suppose now, you know, I'm at an age where in the next, so, you know, the, my parents and my uncles and aunts, you know, will be dying. And it, it's kind of nice to feel that you have that sort of support of first cousins, the next generation coming up. So, yeah, I, I do. I think it's hard for, for people who don't have, that network, but you know, hopefully, friends can take the place of of cousins where needs be. Um, but it is a special thing, absolutely. And uh, Pat is uh, listening with great interest to your chat with uh, Jennifer. She's originally from England. Pat says, this is an Irish thing. English people do not have the same interaction with their cousins. Does Jennifer think agree mm. that it's an Irish thing? I wonder, is it an Irish thing? It's an interesting point, isn't it? And I suppose we we do we, we did tend to have bigger families, I would imagine, than than a lot of English people. Um, yeah, I think I think it possibly is, and I think we also don't don't leave a home for university as much as English people do. I've noticed that about my English friends; they they don't necessarily carry friendships from childhood, whereas I think a lot of Irish people do. Um, yeah. Yeah. Lots of people. Yeah. Lots of people remember great memories of the English cousins uh, coming home. And, yeah. and it was very much part of your childhood was going to spend time on the farm. This is a city listener uh, used to go to the country cousins and we loved it. It was the highlight of our summer. OK, well, you've brought up memories for a lot of people, Jennifer, which is great. Listen, thank, lovely. thank you for that. And thanks for joining thanks us. Thanks so much, Patricia. Uh, Take good, care. Uh, bye Thank bye. You. Bye bye. That is uh, Jennifer Horgan, who is a correspondent uh, with the Irish Examiner. As I say, it was just a, a delightful piece that we read on cousins that just kind of caught my eye and thought, yeah, cousins can be fantastic. Uh, hopefully, you've loads of cousins that you get on with. 0818 103 103. And I accept that not everyone gets on with their cousins. I can see straight away. Somebody sent in a, a text, and I'd rather stay miles away from my cousins, says one person, but isn't even that the same within um, uh, families. Uh, Hi uh, Patricia, cousins are a very important part of a child's uh, life. They form a great relationship. I have no near cousins as my aunt and uncle had no families. So I always felt I missed out on a lot of my childhood. But now I have a darling granddaughter that I help to uh, look after. So I do feel uh, truly uh, blessed. Yeah, and I was speaking with somebody else here in the building who remained nameless who was making the same point that when she was growing up all of her friends had cousins and she didn't have cousins and she said she used to be jealous of seeing them all with their cousins and she didn't have cousins to interact with. 
0818-103-103. Michael by text saying, Patricia, huge congratulations to that couple who have texted in to say that they have finally secured their first home after what seems like a pure struggle. Doesn't it just show that perseverance does pay off? I wish them nothing but help and health and happiness in their new home and that comes in from Michael thank you Michael that's a lovely uh, lovely text and someone else on housing says hi Patricia what is wrong with the hotel room to live in are you seriously have you ever have you t- we're talking about people trying to raise a family living in a hotel room anyway this text just says in fairness look at what hotels are charging in Dublin for a night I would definitely prefer to live in a hotel room than a modular or a timber home remember if we had bad weather you could get flooded in those modular homes but if you're inside in a hotel room, the heat the the, the heat will be a full knot. Uh, I tell you, you think about that again if you're trying to live permanently in a hotel room. Hotel rooms are fine to go and visit if you're going for a weekend or even if you're going for a week or two uh, holiday. But try and live permanently. Try and get the children's homework done and sort out your clothes in, in a hotel room. And I don't know where you're you're saying that uh, modular homes will flood unless they're built in a flood plane, uh, plane. And I don't think they are. I think the OPW are going to great lengths to make sure that the sites where the modular homes are built on um, that that there can be no nothing like flooding or anything else can can go wrong there's a lot of work goes on uh, before that and as for timber homes there's lots of people are living in timber homes and I've never heard of uh, timber homes been anything but fine. I have I have friends of mine actually who are living in, in timber homes and some of the cosiest nights in I've had has been in, in a timber home. They're all fully insulated and maybe the proper heating in it so I think you're wrong on that. I think you would be wrong to turn your nose up to a modular home or a, or a timber home to say you'd prefer to live in a hotel room. I guarantee you if we went into any hotel now of the 12 and a half thousand odd people and families that are living in hotel rooms at the moment and you offered them a timber home or a modular home I think they take the hand and all off you but you're entitled to your opinion Okay, a number of people on about cousins and reacting to my chat with uh, Jennifer uh, Horgan just uh, some of them in uh, Emer says Patricia I remember hanging out with my cousins as we used to run in the fields near their home we used to spend hours outside during the summer just running across the fields and back home playing various games simple times but they were great uh, times Ian from Watergrass Hill different times but my cousins used to call to my house we used to get in our bikes and off we'd cycle for the day Uh, we'd be gone from 10am to 7pm you'd be back in time for dinner And and I bet you, Ian, your dinner was at one o'clock in the day. You were at your dinner in the middle of the day and then you were gone again. And you just knew by the rumbling of your stomach it was time to go home for your tea. Uh, Michael in uh, McCroom. I used to go to my cousins in West Cork. I would go for a week every summer and then they used to come to my house for another week. That was our summer highlight. We had some great memories as we grew older. We saw each other less often then because we went to college and to work. But now we're back in our 40s and I was out in Cork City over Christmas and I was in a chipper and my husband walked in. We instantly hugged and we were simply brought back to our childhood. I agree with uh, Jennifer. Cousins are great. Uh, when you are young and they develop into great friendships both in school and afterwards and you learn great social skills 
from being around uh, cousins, which is true. And it was the point I made. You can sometimes get on better with your cousins than you can with your siblings. And I think that rivalry isn't there. You know, there's a lot of rivalry between siblings. You don't seem to have that with uh, cousins. Mike says, Patricia, I'm very close to my uh, cousins, but more so now I've discovered I'm closer to my nieces and nephews. That's a lovely relationship as well. When nieces and nephews start to grow, you can have a lovely relationship with nieces and nephews uh, as well. And I've degree, I've got some great relationships now with some of my nieces um, are coming to young adult stage, yeah, and they're great relationships. 0818103103. Joan was on to say she one of our, one of our Google speakers uh, on the breakfast show one, uh, and she said, "I'm trying to get it to play C103, and it says I can't. Am I doing something wrong?" This came up actually last week again. Uh, Joan, what you need to say is you needed to say play C103 on LinkedIn. Just add LinkedIn. So I, so whatever you say at the start, I don't know what you say. Is it high Google? What do you say for Google speaker? Is it high Google? And But anyway, it's play C103 on LinkedIn because it came up uh, yesterday or it came up, as I say, last week as well. Uh, Michael says, hi, Patricia. I happen to come in on the end of your discussion on the naming of the roundabout in McCroom. And I have to say, I agree wholeheartedly that that roundabout should be named after the great ladies of Common Naman. As far as women being better drivers, I'd seriously question that fact, with some of them being the most aggressive and discourteous on our roads. If you leave a male driver out of a a junction, for example, most will acknowledge you. A woman mostly won't, with some exceptions. They drive on rural roads in their gas-guzzling SUVs and they act like they own the roads. That's Michael. That's a very small group of female drivers, Michael. Yes, some of them are gas-guzzling SUVs, but some men have gas-guzzling SUVs. And as for if anybody leaves me out, I will always acknowledge. And I have to say, it does annoy me when I leave somebody out. And I don't know why we need the acknowledgement, but I certainly always acknowledge um, as well. I just think it's a nice thing just to put the finger up, say thanks a million, blah, blah, blah. So um, I'm with you on that one. But I, I disagree that it's only women that don't acknowledge because I've certainly seen men who don't acknowledge uh, as well. Now, on drinking water, somebody has sent this text in earlier. I just didn't get around uh, to it. And this is to do with a report that's out from the EPA. It's quite kind of shocking to read, uh, really. Uh, they're reporting that about half a million people in Ireland uh, are getting drinking water from public supplies that the EPA says are a risk at risk of contamination. And remember, the EPA are the environmental watchdog. The latest report from the Environmental Protection Agency has stressed that the water from public supplies across the country, now they're 99.7% compliant with water quality standards. So generally speaking, they are good. However, there's about half a million people who were served by 58 separate at-risk supplies, and that was in 18 countries, 18 counties, sorry, during the last year. The at-risk supplies have catchment areas, everything ranging from the very small, like 17 um, households, to 115,000. The smallest, for example, was in Ballymorris in County Wicklow, but the largest was public water supply covering a whole section of Limerick City. All were placed on what's known as the EPA's Remedial Action List, the RAL. 
because the treatment plants were found to be under strain, they were found to be outdated or they were in need of expansion or changes to the management practice. Now, there were 19 incidents where disease-causing parasites and microorganisms such as cryptosporidium was found in drinking water and that, to me, would be the big, big worry. 12 supplies, therefore, were put on one of these remedial action lists. Then, in 23 further cases, the main cause was the presence of chemicals. Now, these chemicals are called T. HMs and they form when dissolved organic material, now you're talking about leaves and mud coming from rivers and lakes where the water is sourced, when that kind of organic material then reacts with the chlorine that needs to be added to the water in order to get it ready, in order that it can be used for it can be supplied for uh, use. What happens is when they mix together, you get these these THMs and in some cases there's too many of them. And of course, the big concern, the public health authorities, they're big concerned about the effects of these THMs is that there's a strong suggestion that they could be linked to cancer. And the number of people using supplies with high THM levels doubled to 235,000 last year. So much so that the European Commission is now taking the Irish government to the European Court of Justice over the breaches. In 17 cases, excessive pesticide was the main cause of concern. And then 23 cases, it was deficiencies in oversight and management practice. And that led to concerns that changes in water quality or machinery failure would not be spotted and addressed fast enough. Drinking water treatment in many supplies is just not as robust and it needs to be to ensure that all supplies are resilient and are safe into the future. Contamination fears led to 79 boil water notices last year being issued throughout the year. Now, most of them were in very small catchment uh, areas. The total still did affect 182,000 people. And the bigger worry there with the boil water notice was some of them here in our own area. A third of those notices were in place for more than a month. A further 10 water restriction notices were issued and that meant people couldn't drink the water at all even after it was being boiled. And then exposure to possible poisoning from lead pipes. We would hear from some of our listeners very concerned about lead pipes. That continues to be uh, an issue last year. And the EPA have said, told Irish Water, formerly Ishka Aaron now, formerly Irish Water, that they say they have not been moving fast enough to replace the lead sections of the network. And the EPA say now it'll take over a decade to address the risk posed to public health from lead in drinking water at the rate at which Irish Water were replacing the pipes in 2022. They say there's a significant over overrun of Ishgairan's original plan. The original plan was to have all of the pipes replaced by 2026, but now it's not going to be at least until 2033, another decade. And Tom Cuddy, obviously the head of assets operations in Ishgairan, he's out straight away batting on behalf of Ishgairan. He said the utility was managing 700 drinking water supplies. They've invested half a billion in improvements last year. They do recognise that challenges remain in addressing all of the issues. They say it will take a number of years and sustained high levels of investment to address all of the legacy issues, you know, and particularly on the lead pipes. They say, you know, they're doing as much improvement as they can. But they also say that a problem there with particularly with the lead pipes is that householders need to replace 
the le- they'll the Ishgairn will do the lead collections in the public network, but in order for it to be fully safe, householders themselves have to replace the lead pipes on their own property. Now, the government last year uh, scrapped the means test for lead pipe remedial grants. If you do have lead pipes in your house and householders can apply for a grant, that's done through the local authority. So even if Ishka Erin go outside your house and replace all the lead pipes, you've got to make sure if, you, if you're living in an older house that you don't have lead pipes uh, inside. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow today. today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.